Good morning, everyone. And for those of you who are here just because you are a one-mile or one-hour missionary, thank you. We asked several of you in our church to move to the 8 a.m. service or the 10:15 service because we're just out of room at 9:30 and 11. So if you got up a little earlier to be here at this service, thank you. For those in our video teaching service, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. For those of you who are pretty new to our church, basically one service every Sunday. We use video teaching because our church is growing faster than our building is. Uh, So we have four services on Sunday morning, but they kind of overlap. So once a month, about once a month, one of our services is on video. It's never the 8 a.m. It's never the same one two weeks in a row. So if you're brand new and you're thinking, man, I don't want to watch a pastor on video every week, come back to the same service next week and you won't. If you you skip around, you could have a video like every Sunday. So just pick your service and stay in it. Um, But thank you for those of you who allow us to utilize that technology so our church Um, can continue to grow while we're waiting on a building. We had a great meeting this week with the city of Lee Summit. They have kind of tentatively said, your new master plan looks good. Start designing the building. Um, So we are are moving forward. We'll have big plans this fall to announce to you. Um, But for now, we just do as much ministry as we can with the space that we have for us. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 because the ministry of today is in week two of a series that we're calling Foundations. We're trying to teach you why you can trust the Bible. Uh, This is a series really built to equip Christians, one, to understand their faith more deeply. If you're here today and you believe the Bible, but you really don't know why, or let me go to the next step. You believe the Bible, but you cannot answer for a friend why you believe the Bible. This series is for you. I think in the year 2019, uh, and Pastor Brandon will say it on the podcast this week, um, the phrase, that, you know, the, the Bible says so and that's enough. I don't know that that's, that that's enough to help our friends understand who Jesus is. So we're having in this series five conversations that are really trying to equip us more than convince us that the Bible is true. It's trying to equip us to help other, others understand why we believe the Bible is true. And here are the conversations that we're having. We started last week. The first conversation we had answered this question. What's the purpose of the Bible? What's the purpose of the Bible? The key thought last week was this. If God created humanity to live in relationship with them, wouldn't he tell them? If if there really is a God who created people so that he could have a relationship with them. Do we think he would hide from them or do we think that he would tell them? We said we think he would tell them. So a quick review of last week, we studied what what is called general revelation. We studied the things that everyone can know as you look around our world, you can see and believe there is a God. Scripture says by the things that have been created, it proves there's something bigger in the universe than us. And we learned last week about special revelation. That is God breaking into the history of time through special communication to his people so that you might know who he is. So general revelation is see and believe that there's a God. Special revelation is learn about him and receive who he is. We could say that general revelation starts at attention. God says, here I am. Special revelation moves to affection. God says, I love you and I want to be in a relationship with you. We learned last week the Bible isn't really a book. It's not just a library of books. It's a collection of God's special revelation, what he wants humanity to know about himself. The word Bible really translates library, not book. So it's not a book with 66 chapters. The Bible really is a library that has 66 books, all of those that are to help us understand who God is. This week, we're going to have this conversation. Well, how do we know it really came from God? How do we know this Bible really came from God? Next week, we're going to have this conversation. Is the Bible we have today 
the same one that was originally written? How do we know the thing that the Apostle Paul preached from is the same one we have? And it hasn't changed a bunch over the last 2,000 years. In a few weeks, we're going to have this conversation. Is the Bible written to us now, or was it just written to people thousands of years ago for them? Is it a book to them then, or is it a book for us now, and can it be both? We're going to have that conversation in a few weeks. And then the last week of the series, we're going to ask this question. Does the Bible still have authority over our lives today? Is it, is it still the way God wants you and I in 2019 moving into 2020? Is this still the way he wants us to live our lives? Today, we're going to ask, how do we know the Bible really came from God? Two goals that I'm going to try to accomplish today. Number one, we're going to look at the reason that Christians choose to believe that the Bible is from God. But listen, this is a big, big word. Because Christians choose to believe the Bible is from God. I don't know that I nor anybody else can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Bible came from God. I think there are tremendous reasons to believe for reasonable people. I'm going to give those to you today. But at the end of the day, Christians choose to believe. We choose to place our faith in the Bible. Hebrews 11:6 6 says it this way. You have to have faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The word believe there is a word picture of sitting down in a chair. It's putting all of your weight into something. So Christians choose to put all of their faith into the Bible. We choose. There are good reasons to do so. We're going to look at those today. But ultimately, we choose to put our faith in this as the word of God. So we're going to look at the reasons Christians choose to believe the Bible is from God. And then number two, we're going to look at the greatest reason that anyone in the world, specifically Christians, should believe that the Bible came from God. We're going to look at reasons we we can choose and be okay with that choice. It's a reasonable, intellectual choice. But then we're going to look at the greatest reason that Christians should believe the Bible came from God. The Apostle Peter is going to help us with that today in 2 Peter chapter 1. Every time we jump into scripture, hopefully you stop listening to my voice, you start listening to God's voice every time the people of God read the word of God. The Holy Spirit of God has a chance to like do some soul surgery in us, so we always stop and pray and just say, God, we realize now it's your turn, not Christians, to speak to us from your word. So would you just bow your heads with me quickly, both here and in our video teaching service. If you're watching online, take a deep breath. I'm going to ask that you try to clear the clutter of last week that may be on your mind. Just don't worry about the to-do list of next week yet. Be in this moment and open your heart to what God has to say to you. Would you whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven? Would you ask God to speak to you? Would you tell him that you will listen to what he has to say to you? God, you've got our focus. You've got our attention. You've got our willingness to follow if you'll speak to us. So speak to our hearts. We're listening today. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter is in prison in Rome in a few weeks, in a few months, within a year. Historically, he'll die a martyr's death at the hands of a wicked emperor named Nero by being crucified upside down. But as he's in prison waiting to die, he's writing letters to churches. And here's what Second Peter is about. He wants them to know as he begins this letter in Second Peter chapter 1, he wants the people who are following Jesus to be confirmed in their connection to God and their calling from Jesus. I want you to know for sure. I want you to know for sure that you are connected to God. I want you to know for sure that you are called by Jesus. And he said, and, and when I die, don't forget that you're connected to God, that you're called by Jesus, and you're equipped to follow Jesus because you're not going to have me, but you're going to have the scriptures. 
So I want, you to, I want you to know for sure you're connected to God. I want you to know for sure you're called by Jesus. And I, know you, I want you to know you're equipped with resources. I'm going to die, but Scripture's going to live on. That's what he's saying in 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 12 and go through verse 21. Listen to Peter writing from jail. He said, I'm always going to remind you of these things. You're connected to God. You're called by God. You're equipped to follow him. Even though you know them and you're firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know I'm soon going to put it aside. I'm getting ready to die. As our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Jesus told him, Peter, at the end of his life, your life will be taken from you because you're an apostle of mine. Verse 15, he said, I'm going to make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things for we did not follow, listen closely, cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. If you're taking notes, that was at the transfiguration. Peter said, I was there and I heard it. Verse 19. We also have the prophetic message, underline those two words, that's the Old Testament scriptures. He's talking about the Hebrew Bible, 39 books, Genesis through Malachi. We also have the Old Testament, the prophetic message, as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. That is a great two paragraphs of Bible teaching by the Apostle Peter. And he kind of gives you the two options. He said there's two ways to look at Scripture. There's, There's two ways to look at what's going on spiritually. Number one, you can look at it as cleverly devised stories. He said in verse 16, some people are going to try to convince you of this. People will say this. Be aware of it. It's an option. You can look at Jesus, you can look at faith, you can look at Christianity, you can look at Old Testament Judaism and say that somebody made it all up. That's an option. He said, you could also, number two, see it as a message from God. And in verse 21, he said, that's what I'm choosing. Not only because I heard it with my own ears, but I have seen that what has been given to us is completely reliable. If you're here today, Christians choose to look at scriptures the second way as a message from God. The question is why? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm not sure that this series will convince you just intellectually alone to become a Christian, but I hope if you're here today and you're not a Christian that through this series, you will better understand why Christians place their faith in the Bible and you will check out deeper maybe some of the claims that have kept you from becoming a Christian because there are reasons to believe the Bible came from God. We believe the Bible came from God. Why? I'm going to give you five reasons today. There are many more, but I'm going to try to focus on the big five today. Number one... Reason number one, we believe it because of the unity of the message of Scripture from diverse human sources. I mean, when we look at the Bible, this library of 66 books, we see this incredible unity of the message of Scripture from diverse human sources. Let me ask you a question before we jump in. If you're in here and you're um, under the age of 50, you were raised in the world of video games, and I think if I ask you, on the count of three to name the greatest video game ever created that you have ever played, that we would all say the same one because the answer is very, very obvious. When you think about the history of video games, there's one that rises above the best and it's not even close. So 
we're going to attempt both here and in our video service to see if I'm right about that. I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, we're going to name the greatest video game that's ever been created that any of us have ever played if we're like in our mid 40s or, or below that age. Okay. Is, is everyone ready? Everybody understand what we're doing? Okay. Here we go. One, two. It's the Oregon Trail, right? Like I don't even have to get to number three. I was so excited. I knew we would all say the same thing. Like it's the Oregon Trail. There's no doubt that the Oregon Trail is the greatest video game that has ever been created. Who in here has died of dysentery on the Oregon Trail? I mean, like we all have died of dysentery on the Oregon Trail. If you're below the age of 20, you're like Christian first. I'm way more passionate about video games than you. And that's not even funny. That's not even the top 100. It's a joke. I know it's not in the top 100. But if you've played the Oregon Trail video game like I did growing up in Ohio, what I didn't even know is it started in Kansas City. Right, this game is set in 1848, leaving Independence, Missouri, traveling 2,200 miles in a covered wagon to the plains of Oregon and trying to get there alive, which not very many people do because your wagon breaks or your oxen dies or a buffalo runs into you or you get dysentery. That's how most people die. And then you get a little tombstone. Here lies Christian Newsom on the Oregon Trail. In reality, that was a real trail that more than 400,000 people took from 1848 to the late kind of 1860s, but more than 20,000 people died on that trail. It was a four to six month journey. And the greatest innovation, technology, health standards of the day could not keep people alive on this journey over 2,200 miles over four months. It's just hard over time and space to keep things alive But the Bible stays alive over an incredible amount of time, over an incredible amount of space. Let's think about the Bible. The collection of the 66 books of the Bible was written on two continents. It was written a little bit on Europe, mostly in Asia, in the Middle East. A lot of it actually occurred in Africa on a third continent. It was written in three languages, mostly Hebrew and Greek. A little bit of the book of Daniel was written in Aramaic. It was written over a period of 1,600 years from in the beginning to the last word, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. More than 1,600 years passed. It was written over 2,200 miles of geography from modern-day Rome to modern-day Iran. It was written by over 30 authors. And think about this when it comes to these authors. Many of these authors never met each other. Many never read each other's writings, specifically the minor prophets, rarely interacted or would have had a clue what anyone else was writing. The New Testament authors were all laying down doctrine and history at the exact same time, and they weren't cross-referencing with each other. And these authors came from radically different social classes. Moses was a politician. David was a, a shepherd, and then he became a king. Samuel was a prophet. Peter was a fisherman. Isaiah was a politician. Luke was a, was a doctor. He was a physician. Matthew was a tax collector working for the Roman government. Paul was a theologian. Amos was a farmer. Joshua was a general in the army. Job was a businessman. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, a, a, a butler. Job was a, uh, uh, Jeremiah um, was a prophet. I mean, radically different people doing radically different things, living at radically different times, two continents, three languages, 1,600 years, 2,200 miles of geography, 30 different authors who didn't meet each other, who hadn't read each other, who did totally different things in life. Yet, yet, when we read Genesis through Revelation, we can call it a book because it seems like the same story. 
the message and direction and purpose of each book of scripture has a unified theme. They all kind of point to the same beginning and the same ending and the same source of that. Now, there's two ways that could have happened. One would be by sheer coincidence. And the mathematical possibilities of that happening over that much time and space in different languages, different cultures by different peoples is nearly impossible for it to be sheer coincidence. The other belief is that by divine direction, an eternal God who was working from the beginning of time towards the end of time would tell people from time to time what was going on, what the message was, and there would be this unified theme because it came from one source above who existed before it and after it and during it. The, the other thought is, is it's either sheer coincidence or there really is a God who has been speaking throughout all of time with a very specific end goal of salvation. I don't know about you. I choose option two. I choose to believe that divine direction put this amazing library of books together so that we could understand who the God of heaven is. Because the theme of scripture, the one theme that runs through all these authors over all this time, over all this geography, in these different languages, the one theme is this, that God's relationship with and redemption of humanity to himself for eternity is the goal of everything. The one theme of the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is God's relationship with and redemption of humanity to himself for eternity. You say, what, what does that mean? When I say the theme of God's relationship, the Bible from the first page to the last page screams, God loves you. When I say the theme of redemption, I'm saying from about the third page of the Bible to the last page of the Bible, God is screaming, your sinful nature has broken this, but I have a way to put it back together. You broke it, but I'm going to fix it. Those are the themes of the Bible from front to back. God wants us to be a people who know him, who are transformed by him, who understand that he has created us for purpose and he has called us to make a difference. Like that is the theme from, from Adam and Eve to John writing on the island of Patmos. There's a message that God says, I want you to know me. I want to transform your broken life. I have a purpose for you, and I want you to live on mission for me. One source, one theme of all these different people. Maybe sheer coincidence. Maybe. But to me, it just makes even more philosophical sense that there's a driver above men writing this message and making sure it's linear so that we can read it and follow it and get to the end that God wants us to be at. When we look at reason number one, the unity of the message of scripture from diverse human sources, we can choose to believe that the Bible came from God. Reason number two, we can choose to believe the Bible came from God because of the extraordinary claims that the Bible came from God. Now, this isn't number one. This is reason number two for a reason because any book and many do claim to come from God. But Peter says very clearly in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, we didn't make this stuff up. This is not a human book. He said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things for prophecy never had its origin in a human will, but in prophets. And these prophets, how did they write? Though they were human, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is not a book that man made up. This is a book that God made up over 3,000 times in Scripture. The authors claim this is what God says. 
Not this is what I say, this is what God says. The phrase God says, the phrase the word of the Lord. Over 500 times in the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Over 1,200 times in the Old Testament prophets. And then God himself, Jesus, steps into the pages of the New Testaments and says, I am he, follow me. Say, Christian, anyone, anyone can write something and claim God told me to say it. You're right, you're right, you're right. But I want you to think about this. Anybody can claim that God told them something. Anybody can claim that. But when 30 anybody's, over 30 anybody's, separated by 1,600 years and 2,200 miles, claim they heard from God and the message stays the same, God probably said it. I mean, just rational thinking human beings. Anyone can claim something came from God. And there are books of religion that were written by one person. He's the only source. You can pick up an entire book of this and one person will say, here's what God told me. You can pick up another religion's main book and one person will have written or spoken the entire thing. Not the Bible. Over 30 people, over 1,600 miles, over over 1,600 years, over 2,200 miles that all walked in different parts of life with different educations, speaking different languages in different parts of the world said, God told me this and they all line up. It's like, maybe he did, probably he did. When you take the claims of scripture, this is from God, and you combine it with the facts of the unity and the theme of scripture, there are good reasons to choose to believe the Bible came from God. Reason number three, the fulfillment of prophecy. We see the unity of scriptures. That's a really, that's a strong reason to believe. We see the the reason that the the fact that scriptures say, hey, God said is is a reason to believe. Reason number three is the fulfillment of prophecy. This is the ability of the scriptures to correctly and consistently predict the future hundreds of years, sometimes thousands of years in advance. I don't know if you know this. I told you last week, if you're not a Christian, go like the wise men in the Christmas story and begin to study every major world religion. But, but do, it, do it without bias and study all the claims of the Bible and Christianity too. And you will find out if you do that, that Christianity is the only major world religion that gives fulfilled prophecy as one of its basis for credibility. And the reason for that is because Christianity was authored by God who knows the future and the rest of them weren't, so they didn't try to guess. Because if you guess and get it wrong, you expose yourself. But if you say 200 years from now, 300 years from now, 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now, There's going to be a baby be born in this little town and he's going to be raised in this little place and he's going to do this and you get it right. You have to say, how did, how did he, how did he know that? How'd they know that? How did multiple people who never met each other know different parts of the same story if there's not a God in heaven directing it all? You know, Christians can point to fulfilled prophecy in the history of the kings and kingdom of Israel. You say, yeah, but that, that's, that's easy because, it, I mean, Israel wrote the book. So maybe the historians are just trying to slip some things in the back door every now and then. Christians can also point to fulfilled prophecy in the history of the rulers and kingdoms of foreign countries. No control there. No authority there. When Isaiah says a couple hundred years from now, a king named Cyrus will tell the people to come home and his kingdom is not even yet a global world power. And then a king named Cyrus from that kingdom tells the people, go home after a time of captivity. When Jeremiah writes, God shows me after 70 years, everyone's gonna come home. And then Daniel says, I learned after 70 years, everyone comes home. And after 70 years, everyone comes home and on and on and on. 
It appears that whoever is writing Scripture knows the future. Christians can point to fulfill prophecy in the future and work of the Messiah. That's a Jewish word for Savior. The Greek word is Christ. It means Savior. His name is Jesus. That's what we would call him, or Yeshua, if we were speaking Hebrew. Josh McDowell reminds us of this. The Old Testament contains nearly 300 references to the coming Messiah. All of them were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And they established a solid confirmation of his credentials as the Messiah. God leaked little details to more than 30 different people and said, here's one part of his story. Here's another part of it. And when you weave them all together, the picture comes together and Jesus steps into the pages of history and you begin to believe that whoever wrote the Old Testament knew what was going to happen in the New Testament. See, I choose to believe this, that a book that correctly and continuously predicts the future has to be seen as supernatural. It also makes me believe in the unfulfilled prophecy at this time. If what God has said is coming true, then what God has said that's not happened yet about the end of the world, about an eternal kingdom, about an eternal heaven, about an eternal hell, about rewards for Christians, about judgment on evil, those things haven't all happened yet, but because of what has happened, I believe those one day will happen. We can choose to believe the Bible because of the fulfillment of prophecy. Reason number four, we can choose to believe the Bible because of the honesty of Scripture towards the people that the book is about. And here's how this argument goes from a philosophical, religious standpoint. If humans made up the Bible, they would have made themselves look better, right? You've used filters on social media. Don't, like, don't deny it. If, like, if we were in charge, we would clean it up a little bit. Because when we post a picture about our story, we want to get it in the best possible light. I love every now and then to go on my kids' phones. I see them post a picture on social media, and I'm like, man, that's a really pretty picture of Casey. Then I pick up her phone, and I realize she took 40 in the same pose and picked, like, the best one. And it's like, that's how they do it. These kids, it's like, always put themselves in the best light. Scripture doesn't do that. The hero of Scripture is always God. Those in relationship with him are always in need of help. If humans made it up, they would make themselves look better. But the Bible has this honesty about the people in it that makes you think there's no way those people would have shared that part of their story. Let's think about the people in the Bible. Adam and Eve, their son was a murderer. Would you have put that on page one of your story? Noah was a drunk. Would you have written that into your story? Abraham was a liar. Would you have put that in your story? Isaac was a terrible father, a terrible father. He had an awful marriage. Moses was a murderer. Would you have put that on page two of your story? David was an adulterer. Would you brag about that and write about it? Solomon had a problem with women. The apostle Peter denied that he was even a follower of Jesus in a weak moment of faith. The apostle Paul killed Christians. You say, well, yeah, those are all men. What, 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 what about women? Rahab was a prostitute. Like we could, we could go to the ladies too. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. Like, and you thought your small group was crazy, right? I mean, it's like, you look at scripture and it's like, holy cow, these people are nuts. Often in the New Testament, it says Jesus got alone to pray. You say, why do you think that was? I think it was because he got alone and said, God, these people are crazy. Like, what are we doing here? Holy cow, when does it all end? I mean, you look at the honesty of scripture about the people. You think, wow, maybe I don't like, if this, if this is what it looks like to follow God, maybe, maybe I don't want to be a Christian anymore. But man, the Bible doesn't cover it up. The Bible doesn't clean it up. It doesn't appear to be written by people to make themselves 
look good. The resounding message of Scripture is always the grace of God, not the goodness of his people. It doesn't appear to be a book written by people to make themselves look good. It appears to be written by a God who appears to want to clean bad people up, to want to help broken people, to try to fix people who have been damaged by life. If people had made up the Bible, I don't know that they would be that honest about their failures. But the greatest reason, in in my opinion, for my life, and Pastor Brandon asked me this week on the Activate Podcast, which of the five is your favorite? And I said, it's got, for me, it's got to be reason number five. I think the greatest reason to believe, to choose to believe the Bible is because of the unique revelation and the personal work of Jesus Christ in the lives of his people. The greatest reasons for you and I to believe it is because of who Jesus was and what Jesus has done in our lives. Look at 2 Peter 1.16. Peter goes back to, look at what Jesus did, look at what Jesus did, look at what Jesus did. He said, we didn't follow cleverly devised stories. People didn't make it up. If they would have made it up, they would have made, them, made themselves look a lot better. And if they would have made it up, there's no way they could have all talked about the same story. These can't just be stories people made up. We didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were, if you have your Bible open, eyewitnesses. Peter said, I was there. Peter said this, I'm not making it up. I saw it. And then in the next verse, he says this, and I'm getting ready to die for it. I didn't make it up. I saw it. I'm getting ready to die for it. So trust me, I was there. This is who Jesus is to me. You know, the words of scripture have the power to convict and to convince and to convert us in ways that are undeniably spiritual. You don't read books and at the end of books feel like your entire life needs a deep soul transformation. Rarely do we read books if we have good mental health and want one of the characters in the books to become our best friend in life that we, that we live for. But you do that with the Bible. You begin to read the Bible and you see that God knows your hearts. God knows your needs. You begin to read the Bible and you feel exposed. It's like, wow, there, I think there's a higher power in the world that that sees me and maybe knows me better than anyone else knows me. You begin to read the Bible and you read that God loves you and that he wants to be in a relationship with you. It's, it's like the God of heaven, as you read the Bible, is inviting you to know him the same way he knows you. You read the Bible and you see Jesus. You see someone who stepped out of heaven to come to earth to die for you so one day you could step off of earth and go live in heaven. And it's like, I think that's written for me. In John chapter 9, there's a great story in Scripture of Jesus heading into Jerusalem. He sees a man who's blind. And the man asks Jesus, hey, like, can you help me? Can you heal me? He's been, he's been blind since birth. And Jesus heals him, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Those of you who have ever been to Israel with me, we go there. They've uncovered that ancient pool. You would go wash in it before you went to the temple because you'd be dirty from your long, your long journey. So Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. You'll see, and he did. And he came in the temple and he could see. And everyone was praising God, but acknowledging God was working through Jesus. And the people in the temple were fired up. And they said, listen, you, you can't talk about that guy in here. You can't talk about Jesus. They said, if you talk about Jesus, we're gonna expel you and your family from the temple. He said, I can't help but talk about Jesus. Like, he healed me. So they called the guy's parents. They brought the parents in and they said, tell everyone he wasn't really blind. They said, we can't say that. He's been blind his entire life. They said, well, what happened to him? They said, we don't know. We're not, we're not going to claim Jesus. It's all on him. He's an adult. Ask him. 
So they found him again and they brought him back in and they said, tell us what happened. Here's what they were asking. We need you to give us all the answers about Jesus so that we can trust you. And he basically said this, I do not have all the answers about Jesus. Here's the only thing I know, John 9, 25. Whether he's a sinner or not, whether he's God or not, whether he's a Messiah, I don't know everything about Jesus. Here's what I do know. I was blind, but now I see. I don't know that there were 30 authors over 1,600 years, over 2,200 miles, writing in three languages on two continents. I didn't know that, but I still chose to believe. I didn't know about all the fulfilled prophecy. I I probably can't answer those questions. not a Bible scholar, but I still chose to believe. I didn't know. I, I really never even considered that if the Bible was written about by humans, about humans, that they would make themselves look better. That makes sense now, but I didn't know that answer before. I didn't know 3,000 times the Bible said it was from God. I I didn't know that. But here's what I know. I know what Jesus has done in my life. And that's enough for me. I'm glad to be learning the rest. But I can't answer every question. There's one question I can answer really well, though. I used to be this way, and now I'm this way. See, the ultimate reason to trust the Bible is because of what Jesus has done in your life. You say, Christian, be honest. Do you really believe a guy got swallowed by a whale and spit out three days later? Jesus said it happened, and I believe him. So yeah, I guess I do. You say, do you really believe that a guy named Moses was wandering in the desert and there was a bush on fire that didn't burn up and God spoke to him? Like, do you, are you really going to allow yourself to believe that in the intellectual world we live in? Well, Jesus said it happened, and I believe Jesus So yes, I'm going to choose to believe that. So hang on. Do you really believe, Christian, that the Bible's still important? It's 2019. You really believe that we're still supposed to follow the Bible? Lots lots changed since it was written. Well, Jesus said we were supposed to. He said the word would never pass away. And I believe Jesus. So yeah, I guess I do. Because I was blind. But now I see. Like Jesus has changed me so deeply, I trust him with everything. Even the things I don't understand, even the things hard to believe, even the things that I can't really comprehend. If Jesus said it, I believe it. Because I was blind and now I see. Can't answer all the questions, but I know what Jesus has done for me and I can answer that. Are there good reasons to believe the Bible came from God? You bet. Great reasons to believe it. It's not a blind leap of faith. It is faith. This is not blind faith, but the best reason is that because the person this library is about desires for you to know him, he desires for your broken life to be made whole, he desires to forgive you, he desires to, bring, to be with you, he desires to give you health and healing and life more abundantly and eternal life one day when you leave this earth, I believe because the person that this book is about has changed me. And because of Jesus, I believe. You can begin, if you don't know him yet, you can begin your journey with Jesus today. It's a leap of faith, not a a leap of blind faith, but it is a leap of faith. But I think if you look around long enough at general revelation, you'll realize there's something bigger than you in this universe. I mean, the hurricane spinning off Florida tells us that right now, right? Put the best human, human innovation to work. There's nothing we can do to stop that thing from coming if it's going to come. Something bigger than us here. And I think if we go down to the next step and say, if that's something bigger than us, for some reason desires for us to know him, wouldn't he tell us? And we would say, yeah, of course he would. 
And if we look at all the books of special revelation in the world, this one, this one seems to be the one written from above for people below so that one day we can be together. But you got to put your trust in Jesus. It won't give you all the answers, but it'll give you the biggest one you need. What you used to be, you won't be after you begin to follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this room. Before this message started, you asked God to speak to your heart and you, you told him that you would listen. What has he said to you that has confirmed your faith, that has equipped your faith? What has he said to you you need to go talk to somebody else about? What has he said to you, what has he said to you that's given you comfort? Because when we read the Bible, God speaks. God, we thank you today for the Apostle Peter's dying thoughts. That we can trust our connection to God and our calling from Jesus. That we're equipped because of the scriptures. They came from God and they can help us. Give us the faith to choose to trust that. And then God, give us the life transformation that proves to us Jesus is real. Not because we know all of the answers, but because we know the answer, Jesus. And he's changed us. Equip us to believe for ourselves and to answer the questions of our friends who need more reason to believe. God, help us do that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, but your whole life he's been calling out to you and today is the day that you want to choose to place your trust in him and to go deeper into his forgiveness, into his transformation, into his purpose for your life, into his eternal security for you. All you got to do is open up your heart and say, God, I hear and see that you're real. God, through scripture, I'm beginning to know more about you. And God, through faith, I want to say yes to Jesus. If you've never done that, you can do that today. You say, how do I do that? You just pray. You just talk to God. Say, Christian, I've never done that. I'll say a prayer that you can repeat after me. If that's the prayer of your heart, if God brought you here today so you could choose finally to trust Jesus, so you could know him, be transformed by him, find the purpose you've been created for, make a difference with it, would you just pray this simple prayer here and in our video teaching service for those of you watching online? Would you pray in your heart, not out loud, something like this, God? My whole life, I've realized something bigger, greater, is calling to me. And God, I've been seeking to know more. And today I've realized your attention was to draw my affection so that I might know Jesus. So today by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I will choose to believe it all, trust it all, learn about it. Today by faith, I want to say yes to Jesus. And I want to ask him to forgive the sins of my past, the things I have gotten wrong. Forgive me, cleanse me. Put a purpose in front of my eyes that is the reason that I was created and that I'm here. And help me to make a difference with my life until I die. And then leave eternally with you one day after that in heaven. Jesus, today I want to trust my life, my soul, my past, my future, my eternity to you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this room in our video service. If you're here today and you said, today I have chosen to trust Jesus. Today I've asked for his forgiveness. Today I've committed to follow him. Today I have become a Christian. I've chosen to do that. 
It takes faith, but not blind faith. And I've chosen to put my faith in Jesus. If you've done that, I'd love to pray for you. Don't want to embarrass you in any way. Don't want to make you feel vulnerable at this time. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do here and in our video teaching service. Just a second, I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, if you prayed with me, even if there's just one of you, even if you're eight years old, I'm going to ask you when I say three, just to slip your hand up to hold it up for a second. Everyone will keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed. And then I'll have you put your hands down in our video teaching service. Pastor Mike will have you put your hands down. And then we're just going to pray for those who today have chosen to put their faith in Jesus as they start their new faith journey. If that's you, on the count of three, would you just raise your hands and let me know? One, two, three. Just raise your hand right now. If you're in the room and you just prayed with me, keep them up for just a second. Thank you. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. God, thank you for those here, for those in our video teaching service, for those who are watching at home who today have chosen to put their faith in you. Not a blind faith, a reasoned faith, but faith. They've taken a step of faith to trust in Jesus. Change their heart, change their life. Let them go from blind to seeing. And let their belief be based in who Jesus is to them while they learn about the other reasons. I pray they might feel you in their spirit as they leave, that they might just have this overwhelming sense that, God, you're, you're always with them. I pray that they might feel cleansed of their past. While I can't explain that, I've experienced it, so I pray that they would too. And God, I pray that they would wake up every day with hope that you've created them for purpose and that one day they're going to be with you. Bless those who today have made a commitment to say yes to Jesus. God, we love you. We need you. Equip us to believe for ourselves and answer questions for others. Thanks for today and what we've learned. Thanks for Peter and how boldly he taught us. We love you, and God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.